Welcome to the Axiom Podcast, episode 11. back to another episode of the Axiom Podcast. I'm Joey Brandon, your host. And today we're going to be talking about the fear of growth. And that sounds like one of those things that only entrepreneurs talk about or only small business owners talk about. And at, at first blush, you'd say, who in the world is afraid to grow? That's what we all want. We want to grow. That's the whole reason that we're in business. So that's what called us to this is, you know, we could grow at our own pace or we could grow the way we wanted to grow. But when we work with businesses, and I can speak from personal experience, uh, and I'm going to speak a lot from personal experience this week, what we see and what I experience is that business owners a lot of times don't grow because they have some fear. It's not a generalized fear of growth. It's a fear of the things that accompany growth or a fear of the things that they're going to have to address to grow or a fear of things that they don't maybe the things that they don't know they're scared of. And so when when we start to work with business owners and we start to overcome our own kind of hesitancy to grow the business, then uh, a lot of things happen, uh, some good, some bad. There's always bumps along the way. And sometimes it's just to avoid the bumps that people uh, stay the same size or, or they give themselves uh, this kind of cachet of staying small. And and they'll talk about things like, well, we have a niche market, or we want to we want to grow slow, or it's quality over quantity. And when we have those conversations with people, you can sense the fear. It's kind of you know when people talk about you know dogs can smell fear, and that's when growing up. You know, there was a German Shepherd down the street from our house, and you know for or all anybody else knew it was Cujo to me because I was deathly afraid of this dog. And I remember people telling me, you know, dog, dogs can smell fear. And I would, I would ride my bike by this house at the end of our street. And, you know, I would literally be thinking to myself, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Like the dog's going to sense it and he's going to come out and attack me because I'm afraid. And when you're sitting across the table from a business owner and they're telling you, are giving you this line about, well, they're, they're committed to slow growth because they want to do it the right way. A lot of times you can smell the fear in their voice. You can sense that there's something deeper that's keeping them from growing. And I had a conversation uh, with a friend of mine a couple months ago, and we were talking we we're talking about this subject and some things that he was struggling with in his business. And it, it hit me, and it, it was the two-by-four between the eyes because I realized how guilty I was of the same thing that I was about to, to say to him. And I held my tongue for a second because I said, if I, if, I, if I say this, if I go out there on the record, and there were other people who were part of the conversation, I said, if I go on the record with this, then I have to be willing to put the microscope on myself. And I have to be willing to admit that I'm probably more guilty than he is of what I'm about to say. And what I told him and what I believe for myself as well is that there is no dignity in keeping your foot on the growth brake pedal. There's no dignity in staying small. And the reason that I say that is because if you believe that what you're doing, that what you're creating, that what you're delivering to the world is of value, then you should want to extend the influence, extend the reach of what it is that you're you're trying to accomplish. And the only way to extend that reach is to grow. Now, I'll say that, that I'll, I'll qualify that in some ways, that it's not all dollar signs or head count or office locations. Um, there are some circumstances where influence means growing without necessarily scaling. So it could be deeper influence. It could be influence with certain individuals. But that's still a form of growth. And growth is is oftentimes, almost always, taking us out of our comfort zone. So there are some limited cases where the quality over quantity argument is the right one, and you have to grow in, in terms of a 
qualitative aspect instead of a quantitative aspect. But I think that's a, a fairly small percentage of the situations that we're talking about. I think in probably 90% of the situations we're talking about, if you believe that what you're doing is good for the world, then it needs to get bigger. It needs to get not only better, but bigger. So if you've got um, some great service business, you've invented uh, a better way to deliver hamburgers to the world, if that's what you want to call it, then your calling isn't to develop the single best hamburger stand in the world and say, I'm going to change the world by having the single best hamburger stand in the world. No, your your calling, the way that you change the world through that is to have hamburger stands all over the world. But a lot of times entrepreneurs will, will tell themselves, they're lying to themselves, but they'll tell themselves that, Oh, but what I really need to do, the way that I'm going to change the world is I'm going to make the single best hamburger stand in the world. And that's nonsense. You're not going to change the world that way. And in service businesses, that's especially true. So we can say, you know, if, if I want to change the world in, in my, so my personal kind of calling, I feel like, is to impact the world by making small business better. I think that Business, I've said this before on this podcast, I think business is the single most creative endeavor on the on the planet, that if you want to change the world, start a business. And so I feel like um, my calling is to help businesses become better at what they do. And by being a catalyst for business growth and be by being a catalyst for best practices and helping entrepreneurs realize their vision, I think I'm going to have a big impact. Now I could lie to myself and say, well, I'm going to do that by by creating the single best business consulting model the world has ever seen, and I'm just going to iterate and iterate and iterate, and my calling is to create the, the most the highest quality consulting model. And I'm going to do that right here in my own little backyard of southwest Florida, um, and, and I'm only going to have five clients to do that because my concern is the model, and I want to create the single best model that's ever been created. And that's ridiculous. I'm not, I'm not going to change the world that way. I have to expand my reach. I have to have more clients. I have to employ more consultants. I have to get that model out there into as many hands as is humanly possible. And that's the way that I'm going to have great impact. So why don't I? That's, that's kind of the focus of today's podcast. What is it that keeps me from going out there and doing it? Well, for one, it's hard. I mean, you, there, there are lots of practical reasons why we don't grow. Uh, the first is because it, it is hard. It's difficult to grow, to go out and convince more people that they need what you have to offer, uh, to convince more employees or prospective employees that it's your team they should join so that they can offer this thing to the world, to convince uh, vendors to expand the scope of their relationship with you and to bet more of their chips on you so that you can expand the scope of your business. That's hard work. None of that's easy. It requires buy-in from all these different groups. So if you're going to to expand the scope of your business and you're going to grow, one of the things that you're going to have to do is convince other people to come along with you. And I think that's one of the reasons that leadership and an entrepreneur or entrepreneurial ventures are closely associated with one another. But I know plenty of entrepreneurs who, are, entrepreneurs who are lousy leaders. But if you are growing a business almost by necessity, you have to be a good leader because you have to convince others that what it is you're attempting to do is worthwhile and it's worth their investment in you and that they're going to be um, rewarded tangibly and intangibly for that. But most of all, what people want to know is that what they're trying to accomplish is worthwhile. And leaders are very good at communicating that. So why don't we grow? Well, number one, it's hard. Number two, uh, it requires us to develop some leadership skills that we don't all have. To be honest, you know, a lot of us, especially business owners, have lost our ability to really influence and impact others because we haven't had to. And this is one of the paradoxes of small business ownership is that once you start signing paychecks, you have this really big lever that you can pull on to get stuff done, which is because I said so. You know, when you're 
at the the top of the food chain, so to speak, and you're the one who's calling all the shots, then you can kind of dull your leadership edge a little bit just because you get in the habit of saying, because I need you to do it. You know, I, I asked you to do this, so it's due on this date, and I expect it to be done. When you didn't have that lever, when you were just working in somebody else's business, you needed – you might have had some positional authority on an org chart or something like that where you had direct reports and you could say, I just need this done because it needs to be done. But if there were bigger things in the business that you wanted to accomplish that required the the investment or the buy-in of people who were above you, then you had to get good at leadership. You had to be able to – uh, to lead a group of people, including your bosses at times, down the path that you thought was best. And so you got good at at winning others over, at communicating your mission and your vision. You got really good at rewarding and recognizing people because you knew that, that it had to be a team uh, that was going to get this done and you weren't going to be able to go it alone. So you needed not only the... the um, intellectual buy-in but the emotional buy-in of people and you get that through acknowledging their efforts and through making sure that they they know that you care about them and when you are in a position where you have to do that kind of stuff because you don't have the lever that says hey i signed your paycheck so you're going to have to do this for me then you start to become a better leader but once you have that lever once you have that ability to just dictate what's going to happen or else a lot of those kind of soft skills fall by the wayside. And in a business that hasn't been growing for a long time, those skills atrophy to kind of an alarming rate where in some cases where we're talking to businesses that haven't grown for three, four, five years, a lot of times the owner has kind of checked out of the leadership role. And good stuff is happening in the business almost in spite of the owner. It's happening because there are a few really good dedicated players on the team who are wanting to accomplish something, and they're the reason that things are getting done. And now the owner wants to take this mantle back up himself or herself and say, okay, now I want to be in charge again, and I want to lead this group. And they kind of look at the owner and they go, well, you haven't been doing anything for the last four or five years. Um, you know, Sue over here, who's been running the department, she's the one that we kind of take our cues from. And I don't know if she's bought into this vision that you have, so I'm going to kind of sit on the fence until I know where she's at. And that's a very uncomfortable place for a business owner to be, but it makes them take stock of what they've been up to for the last four or five years and say, you know, they have to admit at some point that they've kind of abdicated their leadership responsibilities to somebody on their team. And if they want to pick those back up again, a lot of times it's a process and it involves winning the trust of their employees back and winning the trust of that key person who's been leading in their absence so that they can hand that leadership role back over in a very voluntary way rather than the business owner just say, hey, you know, it's it's my turn now. I've decided I want to do this again. And the results where business owners decide that they're just going to heavy-handedly take back over the business often result in that key person leaving and the business stumbles a great deal because of that. So when we're trying to grow, it requires you to, you know, to be a leader. It requires you to do some things you haven't done before. But one of the, the areas that I want to focus on is just that it's kind of the, the gut check level, uh, personal fear of, am I going to be up to this? And I was talking to business owner recently and, we were talking about how his lack of confidence has really is kind of uh, paralyzed him, and he doesn't because he doesn't have the confidence after this last recession. There are a lot of areas he can point to where he's just not making decisions. He's just not, you know, he's basically not making it happen. Now, here's the thing: when you, when you're paralyzed, when you're not moving anywhere. It's one of the most frustrating experiences for an entrepreneur, for somebody who's used to going places, who's used to making things happen. And for whatever reason, they've lost their confidence. Maybe it's a, a financial setback. Maybe it's a failed business. Maybe it's 
things aren't moving as quickly as they thought they would. Maybe it's a personal or family issue. I mean, there's lots of reasons why you could lose that confidence. And that, and it's really what we're talking about is the confidence to act, the confidence that if I do X, Y is going to happen. And when you lose that confidence and you're not sure that you should do X to make Y happen, then you just don't do X. And one thing we're, we're absolutely sure of is if you don't act, then there's not going to be a result. So when, uh, when you're not moving at all, it's very easy to get into uh, a rut that just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And when I was growing up uh, as a kid, my, my parents are from the panhandle of Florida. And I remember going up there for um, – in the, it was usually around Thanksgiving, Christmas time. It was always cold. And I remember one of the things that we would do every time we would go up there is we'd make syrup out of sugar cane. My grandparents had a, a dairy farm, and there was lots of uh, land that was farmed. And so there's always sugar cane, and, and my grandfather always wanted to make syrup every Christmas. And it was a horrendously difficult job. I mean, it just took forever. Uh, hard work from sun up to sundown. Of course, at that time, I thought it was cool because I'm, you know, seven, eight nine, 10 years old and just hanging out with my cousins all day while my uncles and aunts are working themselves to death making this syrup. But one, what, what would happen is there was a mill, a cane mill, and the cane mill is this, these two huge rollers that are geared, um, high torque gearing, and you would feed the cane between these two rollers and it would squeeze all of the juice out of the cane and then you take the juice over and you boil it down until it made syrup. Well, what was driving these two rollers, there was a huge um, kind of pole that stuck out from from this contraption that was the cane mill. And you could drive the pole two ways. You could either have like a horse or a donkey or a mule or something that was strapped to this pole and it would walk in circles and turn this pole that would drive the gears or you could hook it up to a tractor and you drive the tractor in circles all day long. And that's what we did. We had the, this thing hooked up to the tractor and you just drive the tractor in circles literally all day long. And the longer you drove it around in circles, the deeper the ruts would get. And eventually, you, I remember sitting up there with my uncles driving this thing or my older cousin, and you wouldn't even have to touch the steering wheel because by the middle of the day, the ruts were so deep that the front wheels just tracked in these ruts. And all you had to do was basically sit there uh, because, you know, you didn't even have to have your foot on the gas because the throttle was on the kind of dashboard by the the steering wheel. And so you just set the throttle and you just sit back and you'd run this thing until they needed it to stop and then you would stop the tractor. That's the kind of rut that we're talking about when you get into this issue with confidence. It's a circular rut and the longer you stay there, just kind of spinning your wheels and not moving anywhere, just going around in circles, the deeper and deeper and deeper those ruts get until eventually you don't have to even put your hands on the steering wheel. You don't have to do anything to perpetuate this cycle of not not letting anything happen, not, not moving forward. The business kind of stays where it's at. Eventually it declines. You do have to do a little bit of work to tread water, but you can't tread water forever. Eventually the business will decline. But it's a very depressing place to be. So when, you're, when you want to grow the business, let's say that you get to the point where you realize that I've been fooling myself. I've been telling myself that it's quality over quantity. I've been telling myself that we've got this niche business and it's better to have a niche than to, to expand. When you've been giving yourself these different excuses and you finally realize, hey, these, these are excuses – if I really believe in what I'm doing, if I believe in my vision, if I believe in my God-given talent to make something happen that the world needs, then I'm going to have to grow this thing. I've got to put my, my actions where my mouth is, and I've got to grow. When you get to that point, or, or possibly as, as part of getting to that point, and that's probably the better way to put it, if, if you're in this place where you haven't been growing and you, you're kind of coming to terms with the fact that you haven't been growing and you're starting to do a little bit of self-reflection about why you haven't been growing and, and what's going to be required to grow, there's two things that I think, maybe three things that I think you can do to help get yourself out of that position and move to the next step. 
the first question I would I would ask a business owner who's struggling with this is, can you see it? Can you see what growth looks like? If you were to close your eyes and envision it, and it's a very good exercise to go through, uh, find a quiet place, a quiet afternoon in the office, turn off the phone, turn off the email, and just start to think about what is this growth that I think I'm capable of look like? And there's a few different ways that you can look at it. The first, and you know, I'm a little biased here because I'm a numbers guy, is, is can you see it from the numbers perspective? Can you put dollar values on sales figures, on office locations, on number of customers, on average customer sale, on visits, on retention? If you picture this world that you want to live in where your business grows to a certain level, can you put the numbers together to see it? And this is a very helpful exercise. I've talked in blog posts before about the power of numbers and how they start to quantify things in a way that did not exist before we forced people to put a number on it. And I see this happen in business all the time. When we're consulting with a client and they'll say something like, um, yeah, business is really up this quarter. And I go, uh, how much? And they go, um, oh, I have to get the numbers for you. Well, that's what I want are the numbers. When you say we're, the business is growing this quarter, my first thought is are we talking about uh, 2% growth or 20% growth? Are we talking about an extra $200,000 or an extra $2 million in sales? Or it could be that we're talking about net income for the quarter going from $200,000 to $400,000. You know, what is it when we say how much and we start to talk about the numbers, a lot of things change in our perspective. We have to get super honest with ourselves. There's, you know, the old saying, the numbers don't lie. Usually that depends on who's behind the numbers. But for for the most part, that's right. The numbers don't lie. The numbers tell a very precise picture, and that's what we're trying to get to here. When I say, can you see it? Can you see this future business growth that you, you feel you're called to achieve? If you can see the numbers, then you can see it down to about the smallest detail that we can practically get to. And it, it doesn't just have to be the big numbers like sales. It could be, you know, how much are, if you really want to, I don't know if this is helpful, but how much are we going to spend on paper clips? How much are we going to spend on toilet paper? How much are we going to spend on rent? How much are we going to spend on benefits? How, how much are we going to spend on travel, on entertainment? If you can start to quantify what those numbers are, then you can go even a step deeper and say, well, where are we going to spend this kind of money? Um, if you're talking about employees, how many positions are we talking about? What's the average payroll? Are we talking about a low-skilled, low-wage, high-volume wage labor force? Or are we talking about a highly skilled but very select group of people that we're going to have to pay a lot of money? That tells you a lot about what that business is going to look like in the future. So when you're talking about can you see it from the numbers perspective, you're doing all those those forecasts and those budgets that are typical of business plans, but they're helping you envision what this future scenario looks like. And there's a big difference between putting a budget together for a business plan and putting a budget together that is your picture of what the business's growth is going to look like down the road. One is a chore that you have to to do because it's mandated by some SBA loan document or grant application uh, or small business of the year award that you're up for, that's the the budget that I would not put much stock in. It's usually a once and done budget, meaning that it's put together or forecast, whichever, however you want to call it, but it's put together once. It's used for whatever particular BS purpose that you're putting it together for, and then it's gone. Well, that's what we're not. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a document that's going to help you realize the future of the business. And it's going to be something that you're constantly coming back to and tweaking. And it's not as much of a chore. I'm, I'm not going to say that numbers are not a chore because sometimes they're difficult for people who don't like numbers. But it can become a labor of love from the standpoint that 
this is your baby. This future that you're envisioning is what you want to create with your efforts and your time and your energy and your resources and defining that to a smaller and smaller degree so that the picture gets very clear in your head of what you're going to have to accomplish can be very gratifying and it can be very energizing. The other thing that it helps you to understand is whether you're being realistic or not. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of the you know the exercises where you say take off all the limits, you know, don't worry about what's feasible, don't worry about what's possible, just tell me what your dream is. And we do that kind of work with business owners all the time when we're talking about their vision. And I would encourage that. But when you're talking about getting out of this rut and moving toward you know, what I would call fairly short-term business growth. Like how much are we going to grow in the next year, in the next year and a half, in the next two years? That needs to be eminently practical. And to be practical, it has to be achievable. So when you're putting these numbers together and I'm saying, can you see it from the numbers perspective, the forecasts and the budgets that you're putting together will help you determine for yourself. And that's the only thing that's important is for you can you believe in these numbers? Are they realistic? Are they achievable? Can you see yourself getting this done? Because if you can't see yourself getting it done, I guarantee you it's not going to happen. You're the person at the top who has to make it happen. And if you can't believe in it, then there's going to be a part of you that's always working not to make it happen because you don't believe it. You just don't believe it's possible. And we need to be right. That's one of the really sucky things about human nature is that we need to be right. So if there's a part of our brain that's telling us that it's not possible, there's a huge part of our consciousness and our day-to-day activity that's going to work to not make it possible because our brain wants to be right. It doesn't want to be proven wrong. So if you don't believe in your own numbers, you have a serious issue. Get rid of the numbers. And I've seen business owners and I've seen companies that I've worked for have these targets that everybody knows, including the owner, are not realistic. But nobody will call out the 800-pound gorilla or the white elephant in the room and say, hey, why are we doing this to ourselves? Because none of us believe that we're ever going to get here. And if we don't believe we're going to get there, guess what? We're not going to get here. You know, reality, the, the, the little business fairy is not going to show up and just prove us wrong and grant the wildest wish that we don't even believe is possible. That doesn't happen. So when you're putting the forecasts and budgets together, if you get to the point where you go, I can do this. I mean, this is easy. This is perfect. Don't be surprised if the momentum you create during that growth surpasses even your expectation. And this is definitely one of those areas where it pays to, sh- to aim a little lower than you feel like you're capable of because the momentum will carry you. So in other words, if you're, a, if you're a $5 million business and your vision, you know, that without constraints, if everything was possible, I would be a $10 million company. Okay, well, that's great. Tell us what that looks like so we get a sense for whether it's inspiring or not. Is it going to change the world or not? Let's communicate that inspiring vision to the employees so that they know we're not just another player, that we really do have some ambitions here. Okay, that's, that's important. But when it comes to deciding uh, how we're going to get there over the next year, two, three years, you know, what are the milestones going to be that we achieve during that time frame? The 5 to $10 million, that may be a 10-year journey. We don't, I don't know. I don't know what your vision is. I don't know how quickly you want to get there. But let's just say that's a 5- or 10-year journey. Well, we're not going to put numbers on the five or 10 year end game. What we want to do is look at the next year and let's assume that we've kind of been stuck in this rut and we've had this five to 10 year vision for quite a while and nothing's really happened. And, and the ruts are getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And now we just have to find a way out. Well, finding a way out is not creating the $10 million forecast. Finding a way out is the $6 million forecast. How are we going to go from $5 million to $6 million? That's a 20% growth rate in the course of a year. How are we going to get there? And what I tell my, my business clients that are in those kinds of situations is I would rather you – if $6 million feels like a stretch, 
then let's figure out what the $5.5 million budget looks like. Because if we can do the things to get from 5 to $5.5 million, then we're probably not going to be, even if we pulled the plug at $5.5 million and went back to business as usual, we're probably going to coast up to $5.6, $5.7 off of the momentum that was created by the changes that got us from 5 to 5.5. So when you're doing the, you know, can I see it from the numbers perspective, it needs to be almost imminently achievable. You start to go, well, if we really did make these changes, then, gosh, this would happen in a heartbeat. That happen in a heartbeat number is the one that you really want to get behind. You don't want to get behind a number that's, well, if we did this, this, and this, we might possibly, if everything worked out well, we could probably hit that number. You know, that that's not what we're after. We're after something that you can get in get behind with your total heart and soul and head. You have to believe that this stuff is going to happen. The second area when you say, can you see it, not only from the numbers perspective, but from the people perspective, take a step back and look at it and say, if this vision of what I want to accomplish, this goal, the the short-term kind of get out of the rut, move to the next level uh, change, do I have the right people? Are the, the people that I need, are they here? Uh, a second question around people might be, you know, are they fully engaged? Sometimes you might have the right people, but not if they keep doing the things that they're doing now. You know, you might have the right people, but, uh, you know, their performance two to three years ago, yeah, they definitely are capable. But their performance the last couple of years, they just really haven't been up to it. Their standards are slacking or... You know, I'm not sure that they've got the fire in the belly that they used to have. Well, if you so what are you going to have to do to get that back? And can you see that happening? And this might be a good time to bring them into the discussion. If you've got those people on your team and you and you share you go, "Hey, I've, I really want to get out of this rut. I've been running some numbers. I really think this is possible. What do you think?" And Really try to honestly assess and, and bring your spouse in, bring your business partner in, bring your business coach in, your whoever your closest advisors are into that conversation and see if from their perspective and yours, the person gets it and they're capable of making that next leap up. They're capable of reengaging at that same level of performance they had a couple of years ago. They're, they're capable of getting that fire in the belly back. And the reason that I tell you to have somebody else there with you is because you need a third party's perspective when it comes to something as important as the people who are going to be on your team to make this next move. You can't rely on your own judgment because you have a history with these people. You're emotionally attached to them. Deep down, you want to believe that they're the person who's going to help you get to that next level. And that want to believe is a huge problem. It's a big problem because you're biased. You're going to give them a lot more credit than they're due. You're going to put a lot more stock in their answers than you should. You're going to give them the benefit of the doubt more often than they deserve it. And I'm not I don't want to sound like I'm harsh and I, and I and I'm out to, you know, fire everybody on the team and start over from scratch. But here's the thing. You are where you're at, not only because you yourself have not taken the actions you need to get out of the rut, but because the people around you have not been all that great a team. That's just it. I mean, and you know how I know that they're not that great a team? Because they're still with you. They're still with a business that hasn't grown. They're still with a business that's been in a rut. They may still be with a business where the leader hasn't been effective. So... When you're in these situations, it's rare that we walk into a business that has been stagnant for a long period of time, and there's A players all over the team. It's usually B, B minus, C plus players. And they're there because it's comfortable. They're there because there's not a heck of a lot of accountability. They're there because there's not a lot of expectation or push for ambition, or risk-taking, or stewardship. It's just a comfortable place for B-minus, C-plus performers. So if, 
if that's likely, then you should have somebody else in the room to evaluate, are we talking to an A player who has not been given the opportunity that they need, or are we talking to a B-minus-C-plus player who's perfectly comfortable in the kind of organization that we've been running for the last five years? And that's important because to get to the next level, you're going to need A players. Unfortunately, you're probably not going to find all A players. You're, you know, you're going to be lucky to get, you know, I would say 40, 50, 60% A players and some B minus C plus players, but you're going to need some A players. And if you don't have them, if three of the four people on your team are C minus players, then it's going to be really hard for you to get to that next level. Having that second set of eyes and ears uh, in the room is going to help you make that determination about whether you're dealing with the A player or the B minus C plus player. Um, so, you know, we, it, you're going to get so far. But now here's the thing. You may sit back and you, you so you, you close the office door, you turn off the phone, you close the email application, and you start, you t- pull out your org chart and you go, Nope, <laughs> this isn't it. This is not the team that's going to get me to the next level. I realize now that I've been, you know, complacent or satisfied with lackluster performance from too many of these people, and we need to make some changes. And if that's the case, then I highly encourage you to go out and find the A players. Uh, the first thing I'd encourage you to do is read the book Top Grading because it's going to give you some very practical uh, interviewing tips, one of which is always interviewing teams which goes back to the conversation we're just having about having a second set of eyes and ears in the room. But uh, it also gives you some very practical advice about the kinds of interviews to run, you know, and there's all kinds of, of theories about the best questions to answer in an interview. Um, I think the best interviews basically walk back through the person's employment history in way, 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 way more detail than is usually done. And that's, that comes straight out of top grading. Some of the best interviews I've ever conducted were based on, uh, I can't remember what they call it, but it's basically an employment history where you walk through every position the person's ever had, ever. And, and you learn a tremendous amount by what people have done versus hypothetical questions about what they might do in certain situations. So once you've talked about the people, so we'll go back to can you see it? You know, so so we're we're stuck in the rut. We're trying to get out of the rut, and we, we want to get this vision for you know what it looks like to get out of the rut. Where's the business got to go for us to feel like we're growing again, like we're making some progress? And so my first kind of big meta question is, can you see it? And so can you see it from a numbers perspective? Can you really believe that those numbers are achievable? Can you see it from the people perspective? And maybe I'll spend a little bit more time on that. So. Not only are you evaluating your current people, but looking at where you want to go, are there new people that you're going to have to go out and get? Um, you know, one of the big things that constrains growth in a lot of small businesses, and when I say small, I'm talking about two to fifteen, twenty million dollars. If you have a business that's in that region, and and I've seen this in in two million dollar companies, I've seen it in twenty million dollar companies. One of the biggest constraints to growth is there's no first lieutenant in the business. What I mean by first lieutenant, there's not that person who is the owner's right-hand helper. Not, not assistant, but the, the go-to person. If the owner's out for the day, they take over the company. In a school, it's the assistant principal. You know, If the principal's out at a seminar or a family function or gets sick, the assistant principal can step into the principal's shoes for a period of time, and the school doesn't miss a hitch. They can take care of the discipline problems. They can take care of scheduling issues. They can meet with parents. They can recruit new families. They can do all the things that the principal would do. But maybe they, they're not, they don't have the same standard or the, or the same, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but you know, they're, they're not quite the leader that the principal is. They don't, they don't maybe have the vision. They're, they have the vision for the school because they've been taught the vision for the school. 
they didn't create the vision for the school. So uh, if businesses don't have that first lieutenant, that person who is the owner's right hand, and if the owner is out, they step in and run the company, then a lot of times it's very, very difficult for the company to grow because the owner is just too important to the business, to the operation of the business. And when we're talking about growth, we're not usually talking about the operation of the business. We're talking about bringing about the changes to affect growth. That's working on the business, not in the business. So when uh, when you're looking at the people side, do I have the people that I need? Look at it from the perspective of are, are there some gaping holes in my org chart? Are there some big holes in how I've put this company together that are going to keep me from getting to the next level. And if there are some gaping holes, sometimes you can just move the slots around. You can move the responsibilities around, use the existing people in the organization, but restructure the way the companies run, and you'll be able to get there. Other times, you're going to have to bring in some new people for existing positions. Other times, you're going to have to bring in some new people for new positions and get rid of some existing people and bring in new ones for those existing people. So there's all kinds of possibilities around the people. It's not just about assessing who you have. It could be assessing who you don't have that you know you're going to need given this new future for the business. And sometimes that's obvious given where the business is going to go. So let's say that you you're, for the business to grow, what you really need to do is kind of pseudo-franchise the operation and open up two or three more locations. And and maybe this opening up two to three more company-owned locations is part of the eventual vision to franchising. Well, if you've got one location now and you're talking about opening two to three locations in addition to that one, then the the business model or the business plan pretty much dictates that you have to go find somebody who's experienced in running multi-location businesses. If that person isn't on your team right now and you don't, ha- you don't have that experience personally, then your can you see it from the people's perspective needs to include, hey, I, I know that what I have to do over the next year, maybe six months, is I got to go find somebody who's opened up multiple locations and been able to manage multiple general managers of those different locations. So sometimes who you need will be dictated by what the business is going to do. Sometimes who you need will be dictated by an assessment of the people that are already there, and they'll have some gaping holes, so some C players that you have to replace. But this is especially when dealing with people. This is one of the areas where outside help can be really, really effective at giving you clear perspective and helping you make decisions. The last thing as far as can you see it has to deal with habits. So – Can you see it in terms of the new habits that you're going to have to develop and the old habits that you're going to have to give up? And this goes straight to the owner's daily activities. When we talk about habits, we're not talking about weekly. You know, habits aren't weekly things. Habits are daily things. So what are the habits that you're going to have to give up? You know, I talked to a business owner recently, and one of the habits that he's going to have to give up to grow the business is working four hours a day. You know, that's a habit that he's gotten into. And he wants to take the business to the next level. And I said, look, I want you to go home tonight and I want you to talk to your wife about what it's going to look like. You know, you got to sit down and talk about what it's going to look like to grow this business to the next level. And specifically, I want you to talk about what it's going to look like when you have to start working eight, nine, ten hours a day, three, four, five days a week. Because four hours, five days a week is not going to cut it. There's just no way that you're going to be able to interact with all the people on the team that you need to interact with and provide the leadership and mentoring that you're going to have to provide on four hours a day. It's not going to work. So that's a habit that he's going to have to change. Other habits that business owners have to change are maybe not being involved in the numbers. Maybe they've kind of abdicated that responsibility to somebody else and They've gotten out of the habit of signing checks. They've gotten out of the habit of reviewing budgets. They've gotten out of the habit of holding people accountable for inventory levels. Um, maybe they've gotten out of the habit of running their own meetings. Maybe they've gotten out of the habit of mentoring 
young employees. Maybe they've gotten, oh, I don't know, out of the habit of, of uh, saying thank you. And they've, they've handed that over to a general manager. Well, when you're embarking on this path of growth, the company's going to need extraordinary leadership. Extraordinary in the sense that it's different from what they've been experiencing. So from that, any change inside a small company is usually extraordinary change. Even if it's moving the, the water cooler from one side of the break room to the other, it tends to be viewed as extraordinary change. So when you decide that you're going to grow the company again, and I say it's going to require extraordinary leadership, a lot of that just means that a leader is going to have to show up because a leader hasn't been there. The company hasn't needed a leader. It's been that, that tractor that's just been going around in circles, and it hasn't needed anybody's hands on the steering wheel. And now you're going to put your hands on the steering wheel, and that's going to be a big change for, for you personally. You're going to have to get involved. You're going to have to take up leadership. You're going to have to change some habits. There's also some old habits that you might have to stop. And you need to sit down and you need to think about those. What are the old habits, the things that I've got to let go of? Maybe, uh, maybe you have been the person who's been checking inventory levels every morning, and you've got to give that up if you're going to grow you have to get to the point where you can delegate that to somebody else and you can trust them with it. You can still check up because that's delegation, holding people accountable. It's not abdication. But at the same time, it's not something you're going to personally be able to do anymore. Um, usually the area of bad habits, there are as many bad habits that an owner needs to stop when they're starting to, to try to make a change like this as there are good habits that they need to start. Um, and if you want help understanding what the bad habits are, don't try to sit down and figure them out yourself. Go to your senior leadership team and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. In the next year, we're going to go from $5 million to $6 million in sales. It's going to require a major push. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be some changes that have to happen. I want you to be really honest with me. What are the things that I'm doing? What are the habits that I've gotten into that I'm going to have to stop if we're going to grow by 20% and go from $5 million to $6 million? And your team is going to come up with some really, really insightful stuff. If they, if they feel like it's a safe place, if they feel like you really want the information, you're not, going to, you're not going to be combative, you're not going to be defensive, they'll give you all the bad habits that you need to stop, almost all. There's probably a few that they still won't bring to your attention, but... Again, a close business advisor, business coach, um, somebody that works with you on the business, they'll also be able to tell you the bad habits that you need to stop. All right. So when you're talking about can you see it, um, looking at it from the numbers perspective, the people perspective, and the habits perspective are, are all very good exercises to go through. But up to this point, we've pretty much been talking about you, pretty much been talking about your world, what you need to change, what you need to believe, what you need to, to um, wrap your head around. And that happens a lot. <laughs> there, when you look at the – you go to the bookstore, if you can find one that's still open, or you peruse Amazon self-help section, there are lots and lots and lots of great self-help books. And those self-help books, you know, probably, I don't know, I'd say 80% of the time people blow through them and they're looking for a quick fix. They're looking for a way to, to um, you know, find a way, a shortcut around a problem or something like that, 80% of the time. 20% of the time the, the reader really dives in and they really absorb the material they, they take feverish notes. They're looking for practical application. They're really, really working hard at, at wrapping their head around what it is they need to change. That's 20% of the time. So if 80% of the people just kind of blow through looking for the quick fix and 20% of the people actually you know, do the work required to get the knowledge, how many of that 20% actually brings others into the picture to help them accomplish those goals. And I think it's a very, very, very small number because bringing others into the picture is where the real change starts to happen. That's where you have to let go of your ego. That's where you have to agree and admit that it's not going to be totally up to you whether this happens or not. 
you're going to have to enlist the help and the buy-in and the the care of others to make this change happen. So once you can see it, once you've wrapped your head around the changes that are necessary to grow and get to the next level, the next question is, can you get others to see it? So you can see it, great. Can you get others to see it? And this involves making it public. It means not shouting it from the rooftops, but it means that your leadership team and the people involved in your business definitely need to know about it. They need to catch that vision. They need to see it painted out for them. They need to see the numbers that you've bought into. They need to see the people changes that you've decided need to be made. They need to see evidence of the new habits that you're developing and the old habits that you're giving up. They have to be part of this or it's not going to happen. Your family has to see it. Your friends have to see it. Your colleagues, professional peers have to see it. The people at your chamber have to see it. And, and the scary part is that you need to declare it first because declaring it is going to help them perceive the changes that are being made. Declaring it is also going to provide a pretty good uh, bar of accountability that you're going to have to live up to. So there's bringing other people into it. Um, and you know, that's, that sounds really scary for a lot of people. Um, but there's two steps to this and that is step one. It gets even worse, right? So if you're scared of bringing other people into it, if you're like, Oh man, I really, I was really getting into that whole, you know, numbers, people and habits thing. Cause that's fun work. I love to close the door and turn off the phone and shut down the email and just go heads down and envision what my future's like and build all these plans. And man, that, that was invigorating. And, but now you're telling me I gotta, I gotta tell other people about it. You know I mean? I'm not a people person, you know, I'm, I'm not a good manager. You know, you hear all the excuses in the book. <clears throat> well, like I said, it gets worse. Not only do you have to bring other people in, you have to begin to hold other people accountable. You have to, it's not enough for you to go out to your leadership team and just say, hey, here's, here's what I'm seeing happen. Here's the picture in my head of the numbers, the people, the new habits, right? You, you have to persuade them that this is worthwhile. You have to get their buy-in. You have to overcome some of their cynicism, right? And that's hard work. That's much more difficult than just declaring that this is the direction we're going to go because you're going to declare it, and some of them are going to go, yeah, 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 we've heard that before. Oh, he went to another retreat. Oh, he went to another conference. Oh, he's got all this, this head full of great ideas. Yeah, 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 we'll see, we'll see. All right, so you're going to have to do the work so that this we'll see, we'll see, you know, turn into, wow, I, I kind of see it. I'm excited about this new change. And that's hard work. But then it gets worse again. You also, when it, when it comes to holding others accountable to this new vision, it requires you, it's probably, to be quite honest with you, it's probably going to require that you let somebody go. Not when, not at the start of the journey, because at the start of the journey, it's going to be rainbows and unicorns. Everybody's going to be excited. Everything's going to be, you know, positive momentum. Things are going to be going well. People are excited about the new changes. Your habits are kind of getting people's attention. You're doing things different. That's exciting. Even and the numbers start to move, and that's exciting. You're like, oh, you know, we actually did exceed five million. Uh, five million pace in the first quarter. This this might really have some legs to it, but then somebody's going to question the you know going back to the old way. Somebody's going to have their feet stuck in the mud, and they talked a good game the first three months, but after three four months, you can't ignore the fact that they're they're really not into this for the team. They really just want things to go back the old way. And this is where you're going to have to hold them accountable. This is where you have to sit down and have that second hard talk about, hey, this is my vision for what's going to happen. And call me crazy, but you just don't seem to have bought into that. 
No, 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 I, I, t- I totally get it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a thousand percent behind you, boss. And you go, well, your actions don't show it. You, tell me how what you've done in the last three months backs up my vision for this company. And if you're, if you're talking to a leader in the company, if you're talking to somebody who has a lot of potential, somebody who's really a true, truly a player, this is also a great opportunity for you to put your ego in check or on the shelf and just say, why aren't you buying into it? Which one of those areas, numbers, people, habits, you know, my personal leadership, which one of those is, is not at a point where you can buy into it? Which one of those areas is unrealistic to you and you just can't get there? Because if it's an A player, they're just—it's not the fact that they're being a stick in the mud. It's just the fact that they don't believe it, or they don't believe it's worthy of their time and best effort. And having those heart to hearts, where you start to call people accountable who are challenging your vision, when you're meeting that kind of resistance, particularly if you're meeting it from an A player, a high quality leader on your team, and you're facing down this resistance and trying to, to overcome it so that you can move to the next level is one of the hardest things you will do to move the growth of the company forward. <clears throat> many, many, many leaders cave at this point. Everything, they've done the visioning. Everything looks good. They've bought into it. They, they start down the road, they realize some positive results, and there's one person or two people or three people who start to resist this change. And if they're C players, hopefully the owner can overcome that and push through. Sometimes they don't, unfortunately. They let C players derail their progress just because they're not up to the task of facing down the opposition. But if they're A players, it's very, very hard for these business owners to stand up to the withering criticism that can be leveled against them. And it's devastating. to when, you're, when you've put your heart and soul out there, and this is very vulnerable work where you're articulating something that doesn't exist yet. You're literally creating the future, and somebody stands up and goes, that's not going to happen. I don't believe in that. You're crazy. There's no evidence whatsoever that we can accomplish that. And those businesses that are that business owners that find themselves in those situations and don't have the the fortitude, the gumption to really push through and make a very hard decision at that point are going to give up and things will go back to the way they are. So let's talk about the hard decision. What's the hard decision? What do they have to do? Well, you know, I say, oh, I know what the hard decision is. They got to fire the person. Well, maybe. You, you might have to part ways. In a lot of ways, that's the easy way out. It's not easy at the time because you don't want to lose the A player. Sometimes you don't even want to lose the C player because you, 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 fooled, you, you probably haven't taken the advice to bring somebody else's objective into the conversation to tell you you just got to get rid of this person. But, you know, sometimes they, people resist getting rid of the C player even. And, you know, it sounds hard, but in some ways letting that person go is way, way, way easier than going back the next day and the day after and the day after and the day after to win the heart and the mind of that person. If it's an A player, I'd say it might be worth it to to keep going back and trying to win them over. Um if it's an A person that really believes in the best interest of the company and, and they have some real questions about the direction you're going, then you need to listen. You need to put your ego on the shelf and you need to say, is there something of merit here? Is there something that I've missed? Does something need to change? And have the, the intellectual and the, the leadership, um, uh, security, I guess, to ask tough questions of yourself and to be open to criticism from those A players. And sometimes you're, you're just not going to be able to win them over and you're going to have to let them go. But there's, there are those stages of getting others to see it where you're making it public, which is just you kind of proclaiming that this is what I see and this is what I'm going to do. And then there's the becoming accountable where you actually expect other people to believe it too. And that's where you, 
you have a hard time. You know, many, many, many employees are perfectly okay with their bosses having these delusions of grandeur, okay? And, and unfortunately, you know, that's, that's where the boss is not realistic. It's where they haven't done their homework. It's, but that doesn't describe the situation that we're in here. You've done your homework. You've, you've made it, uh, you know, eminently achievable. You can get to this spot. You, you're going to do the things. You're going to change the habits to make it happen. And they still don't believe it. They're not going to come along for the ride. And that's a hard point for a boss to realize, for a leader to realize and to push through. So it's going to, it could require you to, to, um, to make some changes. And that's, that's all I'll say about that. So I talked earlier about this conversation I was having uh, with a business owner where he said, you know, his, his confidence, just his lack of confidence kind of had him paralyzed. And he shared with me one of the things that, that he's done in the past um, to get past that, to get that confidence back. And it tracks very well with something that I do, try to do on, on a daily basis and um, daily and weekly basis. And so I'm going to share these three things with you. So what we were talking about before is, you know, can if if you're stuck and you're not growing, you know, you need to you need to ask yourself the question, can I see it? If you if you can see it from the number side, from the people side and from the habit side, then you know, you're you're on your way. And then can you get others to see it? Okay? So can you when you make it public, um you know, can you make it public and can you hold others accountable? Can you expect others to get behind it as well and hold them accountable to it? Those are both kind of practical exercises. Those are actionable things that you can do. But what, what do you do if you lack the confidence to take action? You know, that's the, that was the problem that this business owner was describing to me. He, kind of, he knows what he needs to do. It's not a question of not knowing what comes next. He knows what he needs to do. He just lacks the confidence to do it. So what do you do if you lack the confidence? Well, I'll give you three quick things that I think can help you, and these are very practical exercises, things that you can do. The first one is is understanding gratitude. And I would say the best thing that you can do to understand gratitude is to, to start a practice of every day, write down two things from the day before that you're thankful for. This is something that I try to do every morning during my quiet time is just start the day thinking about two things that happened during the prior day that I'm thankful for, things that, that I was blessed by or relationships that mean a lot to me that, that were highlighted during that day. Maybe it's, it's a, you know, being able to spend uh, a weekend with a good friend of mine, and, and I, you know, one of the things I might write that I'm grateful for is just the chance to spend time with that person and what our relationship has meant to me. Um, it could be something that happened in the business that I'm thankful for. It could be something that my kids said or a place that we went. It could be a date night that I had with my wife. But two things, if you'll develop the habit of being able to wake up in the morning and during the first hour of the day at some point recognize and write down two things that you're thankful for from the day before, it will change your perspective and get your day started on the right foot. The second thing is what this business owner shared with me, which I've never looked at it this way before, but I, I'm excited to try it because I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's basically an accomplishments inventory. Take inventory of your accomplishments. So, you know, what are three things that you've done, say, in the last week that you're really proud of, that worked out well, that had a positive result? Three things the last week, three things the last month, three things the last year. If you can sit down and do that, now that might take you 20 or 30 minutes to do. But at the end of the 20 to 30 minutes, you're going to feel completely different about your ability to make things happen than you did when you started. And what are we after here? We're after the confidence to act. So if daily you're in the habit of being, uh, of exercising and expressing gratitude, recognizing how you've been blessed and that good things happen to you on a daily basis, and on a regular basis, let's say weekly or monthly, you do this accomplishments inventory where you take stock of what you've been able to do, things that have had positive results in the world as a result of your actions. You start to understand how you can affect change in the world. And then the last thing that I would say is recognizing others. 
I try to make it a habit to write a thank you letter or a letter of encouragement or acknowledgement to one person every week. And this is a handwritten one to two page letter that, that recognizes something specific that somebody's done um, that I just really appreciate or that I've, I've seen out there in the world and I feel like they need to be recognized for it. And when you start to recognize others, you develop an ability to, I don't want to say lead others, but you develop an ability to see beyond uh, just the task and the to-do of every day. You start to understand what people really work for. You start to understand what's really important relationally to people and how to express that genuinely, not because you want something from them, not because you need something from them, just, but just because you value the work they do as human beings and you think that that needs to be recognized on a scale that is very, very personal and very intimate. So those three things, um, starting a gratitude journal, uh, taking an accomplishments inventory, and recognizing others, are, I think, are all things that will really help you start to build that confidence that's going to enable you to act. And at the end of the day, you know, it really is about what we do. We can say, we can think, we can write down, we, we can go through all the motions. But at the end of the day, it's what we do that's going to cause our business to grow or the things that we don't do that are going to cause the business to stay static and stay where it's at. So I hope that you have found this useful. It's been a lot of fun. This is probably one of the, um, the more gratifying, I'll say, times behind the microphone that I've had doing this so far. Um, I really believe that growth is something that you're called to do if, if what you're doing on a daily basis brings value to the world. If there's no dignity in staying the same size. There's no dignity in keeping it to yourself. Go out there and let the world see it. Let the world enjoy it. Let the world experience it and become more valuable because of it. Uh, thanks again for those of you who continue to leave reviews on iTunes. That's a lot of fun for me to get the, uh, the positive reviews back. I'm having a blast doing this, and uh, it's nice to know that you guys are enjoying it as well. So thanks to those of you who are doing that. And uh, I'm Joey Brandon. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Axiom Podcast.